Hi everybody and welcome to the Cultivated Podcast with me, your host Rob Lambert. So I was lucky enough to go away on a retreat, a weekend away in a very, very small Airbnb to record these podcasts. This season, the first season, is all about how to be effective and productive at work. I'm very much looking forward to bringing you season two, which is about creativity. Now, I will say this tiny Airbnb was right next to a main road with some very loud motorbikes, so occasionally you may hear their exhausts. I do hope you enjoy this. Feel free to check out the website at cultivatedmanagement.com. In today's episode, I'm actually going to present one of my presentations, a keynote that I typically run at conferences across the world. Now, this one's about how to thrive in your career. It's a story about how I went from surfing the web, uh, looking at Auto Trader every evening for cars that I clearly couldn't afford, and playing video games to thriving in my career. Now, when I say thriving in my career, it's not just about being at work. Thriving in my career is also about how to do well, be productive, be effective, but also one of the key drivers, one of the measures of success, the key thing for me was being able to put my kids to bed every evening. Now, of course, I didn't manage it every evening, work gets in the way, conference trips and all sorts of other reasons, but I'm quite proud and pleased that I actually managed to achieve this. Now, I don't say this to sort of boast or show off, I say this because this was something that I uh, strategically and tactically set out to achieve. And in this talk, what I'm gonna do is sort of share the 10 lessons that I've learned on this journey. But before we get into that, um, let's go back 16 years. So 16 years ago, believe it or not, I actually had less hair than I have now. I used to shave my head and I looked ridiculous, but I thought it was a good look back then. So 16 years ago, I went to my very first conference. Wonderful opportunity, the company had paid for it. I was gonna make the most of it, of course, and it had a free bar, so you know, thank you. And a hotel overnight, which was wonderful. However, at the networking event, it was ruined by this guy who I called Mr. Freaking Furious. I've no idea what his real name was. Paul, Pauline, Paolo, no idea. He clearly thought that I looked too happy because he stomped over to me in the evening at the networking event, metaphorically pinned me to the wall and then proceeded to spit venom and rage about how angry he was at everything. I mean, this guy clearly was not thriving in his career or life. In fact, I argued barely surviving i mean he hated everything he hated me he hated the conference he hated the presenters he hated the people he worked with he hated the industry he worked in in fact he hated everything he was supremely angry and i told him this of course six months later when i was alone in the car but this guy he really sort of he made an indelible mark on me because i came away from that conference going i don't ever want to be like him because he clearly was very, very unhappy with where he'd got to in his life and career. Very, very angry with everything, including himself. Um, I mean, you'd probably start a fight with himself if left alone long enough. So what did I do? I got back home, I grabbed a sheet of A4 paper, I wrote my name on the top of that, and I listed out all of the things that I wanted to achieve in life. There were a combination of work and experiences and who I wanted to become as an individual. And you know what I did then? I did absolutely nothing. I probably went straight on to Autotrader to look at cars I couldn't afford. But it wasn't until another compelling event and probably the main catalyst, and that happened a couple of years later with the birth of my first son. Now, this was a miracle birth, really, in a sense, because our first son was born with a knot in his umbilical cord, which typically ends in disaster and tragedy. And so we were very lucky to have him uh, with us. I mean, it was a, a sort of miracle moment. So much so that actually doctors and nurses across the hospital, in fact, from the county, in fact, from the UK, 
all gathered around to see this umbilical cord because most people had never seen it. That was a catalytic moment because what happened was we got him home and it was like, oh my gosh, this small child relies on us. It, it requires love and care and attention. And, and for me, role modeling, it required a house over his head. It required food and shelter and care and, and all of the things that we go through as parents when our, child, our children are born. I call it the baby effect. It suddenly had this really big catalyst on me. I actually had to do something. I couldn't just waste my life. I had loads of potential. I just was not achieving it. This moment really allowed me to go back to that sheet of A4 paper, to look at that list and say, right, now is an opportunity to, to really try to do this. But of course, on that list were all sorts of things that really, if I was to accomplish all of them, I'd be working 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and I'd never get to see my kids. So. I wrote on there that actually one of those measures of success, like I've mentioned, is being able to put my children to bed every night. I've now got three boys, actually. When the first son was born, it was very much, I want to be there for him. I want to be a sort of active role model, an active participant in this. I didn't want work to get in the way, but equally, I wanted to thrive in my career. I wanted to achieve great things. I wanted to be a role model for him, and I wanted to, to see if I could actually put my potential into action. And so I grabbed that list and it was just a list of things. So what I did is I, I turned it into what I call a painted picture. Now a painted picture is a, a sort of written, maybe two or three paragraphs of what I would like my life to look like in 10 years. So this was 14 years ago and, and I wrote this list and I wrote this painted picture and it was compelling and it was interesting. And in a sense, it was about what do I want to do? Uh, who do I want to help? And who do I want to become as an individual? Now, it had lots of work stuff on there. There's things I wanted to achieve in my career. But equally, there were things that I wanted to experience. There were creative projects and pursuits that really played to who I wanted to become. Um, the things that I always said I would do as a kid and a teenager that, frankly, I, you know, life sometimes gets in the way. And this painted picture was really compelling, really interesting, really exciting, something that I still read today. Now, of course, I've got a new one because that was 14 years ago. But this painted picture for me is, is kind of like 10 years out. In 10 years time, what do I want my life to look like? Now, of course, my life won't look like that and it hasn't looked like the painted picture to date, but it's getting closer to it. Are we nearly there yet? Nope. 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 No. Nope. Are we nearly there yet? Nope. Are we nearly there yet? first lesson is I actually didn't need to wait for a compelling event. I realized that I could have actually made a decision to thrive. I mean, that's the first lesson here. We don't have to wait for a compelling event, although compelling events do actually, you know, spur us on, but we don't have to wait for it. And when I do this talk, I'm very clear that please don't wait for those compelling events because sometimes those compelling events aren't actually positive things, but they do compel you into action. Now, a friend of mine had a heart attack a few years back. Um, he's fine now, but he said that as he was being wheeled through the hospital and he could see the ceiling lights just sort of zipping by as he was being wheeled through to theatre, he had this moment where he thought, was it all worth it? What was the point in this? So all those extra hours that he'd worked, the weekends where he'd you know, committed to try and solve problems at work rather than spend it with his kids, the corporate ladder climbing, the politics, the drama, the stress, what, what was it all for? What was it worth? And he came away from that experience realizing that he'd put on the back burner the very things that made him flourish, the very things that sang to the soul, 
the very things that he wanted to achieve in life, those experiences, those creative projects, those things that he wished he'd done. Now that was a compelling event for him. For me, it was the birth of my first son. And for others, it could be that you fall so deeply, madly in love that you can't find the words to describe how you feel. These are the kind of moments that catalyze us into action. But we don't have to wait for them. We can decide to thrive. And that starts with basically a decision. And maybe you make that decision and you write your painted picture, you do your goals or whatever mechanism works for you. But we don't have to wait. We can decide to thrive. Lesson number two is all about relationships. This is how work works. Work is nothing more than a series of relationships. I remember for the first few years in my career, I was I was like bewildered as to why some people were climbing the ladder, making more money, doing all the other things, succeeding at work, when they didn't seem to be the most talented. In fact, sometimes far from it. And it wasn't because they had some sort of you know skills that I didn't or competencies. It was because they had worked on building relationships. They had built the right relationships with the right people. Now, this sounds horrible, really, that this is how work works, but it does. When we talk about politics at work, what are we talking about? We're talking about relationship. We're talking about why some people help others, but not others. Office politics, that's what it is, you know? Opening doors to companies for some people, but not for others. Finding out about jobs that don't get advertised on the job market. You know, being the first person that people come to when there's an open vacancy. You know, moving through the career ladder, helping people. It's all about relationships. Relationships are how work works. In fact, they're how life works. Good, solid, strong relationships. The better the relationships that we have at work and outside of work, the more doors open, the more support you get for your ideas, the more exciting actually work becomes. And when I think about work, and, and I've been consulting for sort of 10 to 12 years now, there are moments where I spend an entire year doing some really great work, only to see it completely undone by a new manager or, you know, world event or, you know, redundancies or whatever happens. And it feels like that's been a complete waste. And in some respects, a lot of the stuff that we do at work is sometimes a little bit wasteful. So I sort of reframed it and I thought, well, what is the point in it? And the point is obviously hopefully to have meaning, to use our potential, to build something of use for other people. Now I'm hoping this podcast is not a waste of my time. However, really when I look at it, what has been the, the point of work for the last 15, 20, 25 years? Obviously put food on the table, all the other stuff that we have to do. But also it's about the people. It's about the effect you've had on other people. It's about the relationships you've built. It's about the people that you've learned from, the people that you've helped succeed. That, to me, is, is why work is so important. Of course, there are some people who are better at building relationships than others. And we've done podcasts on communication before. And that's how you build relationships, through communication. One person at a time, person to person, listening, talking, responding, building relationships. Relationships are how we get things done. It's how we move through the career ladder. It's how we get great work done. It's how we boost our career. It's how we get support for ideas, and it's open to every single person in the organization. Relationships are that moment where somebody leaves an organization, they join somewhere else, and they get back in touch with you. They want you to go and join them over there. Relationships are how we get stuff done. Now, in my field of work, what I often have is I have people reach out to me on LinkedIn, usually recruiters and managers saying, oh, by the way, Rob, you used to work with this person at this company. Please, could you give us a reference? 
That's a classic example of relationship power. Now, relationships shouldn't be built just for that Machiavellian trying to grow the career, trying to boost yourself. Relationships are a two-way process. We've got to give and receive, and we've got to listen. We've got to really nurture that relationship. It's, you're not building a relationship really just to achieve something. You're building it because it's worth building. And sometimes you can give everything to a relationship and get nothing back. And sometimes it could be heartbroken. Sometimes you could be left in the dust. Sometimes people, you know what, they're not always the nicest of people. But build relationships as best you can, person to person, because relationships are how work works. The next lesson is to have fun. Um, in his excellent book called Let My People Go Surfing, the Patagonia owner and CEO, Yvonne Schoenard, said that he wanted to build a company where people could have fun. And this was way back in the 70s and 80s. Now, Paul Hawken, in a classic book which you may hear me talk a lot about called Growing a Business, said that fun was like a sense check. It was like a canary in the coal mine. If people weren't having fun, you've got to really sort of consider are we doing the right things in business? And yet here we are, 2022, and I'm recording this, and we still have lots of toxic work cultures. We've got this idea of this mass resignation that apparently is going on. We've got people disengaged and disenfranchised with work. People really don't seem to be having fun. You're not gonna have fun all the time, of course. There'll be ups and downs, there'll be the highs, and in order to have the highs, you've got to have the lows. To have fun, you've sometimes got to have those moments where it's a bit of a grind, it's hard work, it's difficult, it's monotonous, it's tedious. It's boring sometimes. But one thing that I found is if I'm really not having fun for a prolonged and sustained period of time, then there's probably something wrong. Now, we don't always have the opportunity to leave a job or get a new role or move within an industry. Sometimes we've just got to look at that role or that job and try and make the most of it. We're all in different seasons of life as well. And fun really should be something that is present for a significant amount of your time at work. And if it's not, what can we do about it? Can we put a plan in place? Can we develop some skills? Can we build better relationships? Or do we just have to look at the world and go, you know what, it is what it is, and I'm gonna try and make the most of it. Now, the next lesson is to trade your freedoms and your values wisely. Now, what I mean by this is when we join an organization, we essentially trade our values and our freedom. We trade some things in return for pay, in return for a job, in return for working for an organization. When we become an employee, well, we've traded freedoms and values. Now again, we don't always get the opportunity to choose what we wish to trade. Sometimes we just need a job to put food on the table. When we are thinking, and if we do have an opportunity to join an organization, just be sure you know what it is that you're giving over. All organizations have different values. There's a few things when we when we unpick values here, so let's have a think about it. The, fir the first one is values that are displayed on the websites, that are displayed in company handbooks, that are displayed on the walls, on posters. You see this all over the place. These are our values. They may or may not be the values. They are actually marketing. The real values are how people treat each other. The real values are what the execs and the managers value. The real values are really how people get promoted through the organization. Do the leaders in the company value long working hours, working the weekends, treating other people like dirt, getting business results at the expense of people? Are they the values or are they the values that most companies espouse, which is like trust, uh, relationships, care, attention, all the other things that, that companies like to stick on posters to remind you about how great it is to work there. Be skeptical, be critical about the values, um, but when you do join an organization, you are joining an organization with values. And one of the most, uh, I guess, disenfranchising, soul-destroying moments of my career was when I joined a company that clearly had different values to myself, to the things that I valued. I value people, creativity, fun, engagement, meaning, 
they didn't. They valued money. They valued results at all cost. And people were treated terribly, really badly actually, to the point where it was a really horrible place to work. But I traded my values when I joined that company. I traded my freedoms. You know, they wanted 10 hours a day, six days a week. I traded that. I hadn't done my research. We don't always get that opportunity, of course. And this is where relationships play a big part. Do we know anybody that works in a company? Do we know anybody who knows somebody that works in an organization? What can we do to research the company? LinkedIn's a great tool for being able to find out who works there, what it's like. Uh, Glassdoor, um, wonderful website, sometimes a bit uh, abused, but generally a really good website to find out what it's actually like to work in an organization. But remember this, that when we join an organization, we have chosen to trade our freedoms and values at the door when we've joined. What I often find is people go into a company that has different values, and then spend their entire time challenging the values and trying to change the organization when they don't have any power to do so. And it's soul destroying. It really is soul destroying to put your energy and attention into an organization that has different values than you have. So be careful, do some research. If you have an opportunity, choose wisely. The next lesson is actually work is all about shipping things. Now, oh my word, as a consultant, I spend a huge amount of time in organizations where people aren't shipping work. They're having meetings, they're building PowerPoints, they're putting together internal documents for people to make decisions that never get made. There's so much red tape and bureaucracy in the world of work that actually it's kind of hard sometimes to find people who are actually shipping the value that adds value to their customers. It's really difficult to find those people sometimes. Uh, some organizations are 60-70% full of people who aren't shipping anything to the customers. It's a bit like this podcast. If I don't record an episode and ship it, then I'm not adding value to hopefully you, the listeners, that are hopefully enjoying this. It's the same with a book. I can have an idea about a book. I can spend my entire day writing the book. And if I never ship it, then I haven't added the value. Sure, I might have learned some stuff. Sure, there's sort of, you know intrinsic motivation to do that. But when we're talking about value in a business, when we're talking about a business needing money to keep doing what it's doing, which is the reason a business exists, is to serve the customers, society, what are we doing to ship it? Now, the reason I talk about this is because we have an opportunity when we're in work to think, are we shipping things? Are we, you know, at the front line in retail? Are we selling products? Are we customer service? Are we dealing with customer complaints? Are we building marketing campaigns? Are we shipping software? Are we shipping widgets? Are we shipping cars? Whatever it is that we're doing as a career, are we actually shipping work? Or are we spending the majority of our time fiddling around the edges, distracted, building things of no value. We get an opportunity and it's everybody's job in a business is to ship value to the customers. So wherever you see this not working, wherever the silos, gaps, you're spending your time doing stuff that isn't adding value, then what can you do about that? How can you escalate that through the management tier? How can you do something about it if you've got control? And if work is constantly being stopped, reworked and sent back, then again, something is wrong. And we have an opportunity to lean into that, to study it, to find out what the problems might be and hopefully be able to do something about it. The goal of work is to ship value. Now the next lesson is to embrace our differences. Everybody in an organization deserves respect by default for whoever you are. You know, you've heard people say, you have to earn my respect. Well, no, we, we don't. Why would I have to prove to people why they should respect me? Respect should be by default. Now, of course, that's easier to say, it's a lot harder to convince other people of that, but we can do this. We can respect everybody by default, just for being human, for being here, for being on this planet. Everybody should start with respect and that respect should continue. 
Now, trust on the other hand is different. Trust probably should be built. Trust can be broken, but we should always respect other people. And for me, with my HR hat on here, embracing our differences, our diversity, our different behaviors, the differences that people bring to an organization and respecting people for who they are is a wonderful way to build a great workplace. Now, we've all got different strengths, we've all got different weaknesses, we've got different preferences for working approaches and styles, we've got different preferences for communication, and we've all got different things that you know bring us joy in our lives. There's no single best way to live. There's no right course um, that we would live. Now, of course, there are poor behaviors, bad behaviors, toxic behaviors that should be dealt with, but we should respect people. And if we go into a workplace respecting other people, trying to build trust, and expecting respect for ourselves, then I think we could make a really big difference to work and hopefully we'll get some meaning from that. I've been a good boy tonight. Can I please just have an hour on Fortnite? I promise I'll do my homework right if I can just have a quick blast on Fortnite. I've been a good boy tonight. Can I please just have an hour on Fortnite? Fortnite, 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 Fortnite. So the next lesson is to learn. One of the most, um, you know, I guess one of the threads that runs through this podcast in some respects is about learning, about becoming better. You know, things like when we make a mistake, we have an opportunity to learn. We're learning all the time in organizations about how things work. We're learning about ourselves and how to interact with people. But there's also the more structured element of learning. You know, what is it that we're learning to do? I'm learning to draw. I'm learning to record these podcasts. I'm learning all sorts of things, photography. These are things that drive me and interest me. Um, I've completed a diploma for HR. I did that a couple of years back. That was just something I wanted to do for my career and it was, you know, frankly an awful experience, but you get the point. There's an element of learning. We can learn how to be better as individuals, of course, but we can also learn how to be better as teams and as a business. And there are learning opportunities absolutely everywhere. There's really two types of learning that I've seen work really well. The first one is information acquisition. Now this on its own is a is a strange one because a lot of people do this. They go and read books on stuff, they watch uh, videos, they listen to podcasts, and they become experts at the information that they have acquired. Now the problem is, is that some people become walking, talking experts. You know, I worked with somebody who was an expert on landing an aeroplane, but he'd never done it. He was an expert on tennis, but he didn't play it. He was an expert on all sorts of stuff because he'd read it. He was a deep reader, somebody who really liked to consume information. Information alone is not knowledge. Information needs put into action in order to turn that into knowledge. So what I'm going to try and encourage you to do is to do the second type of learning, which is task acquisition. This is learning through doing the task itself, by doing the work. It's a little bit like if you're learning a musical instrument. Let's say you're going to learn how to play the drums. You can go and grab every book possible on learning how to play the drums. You can read it. You can understand it. You can talk about it. You can you know, probably have a really good conversation with somebody about how to play the drums. But until you've picked up the drumsticks and played it, you don't know how to drum. That, to me, is the same in work. There's a lot of people that read a whole load of stuff, walk and talk it, and they actually sound really influential, and trust me, a lot of consultants are very good at this. They sound really knowledgeable, but when they come to put it into action, they can't, because they've never done it. So one of the key things to do is to learn through information, but make sure it gets put into action. Now, of course, out of the two styles, I would rather do the task acquisition. I'd rather play the drums by picking up the drumsticks and playing, and then add in the information acquisition to that. When we're at work, 
we get an opportunity to try and improve, to learn, to grow. And, you know, even if we can just snaffle five minutes a day while the kids are eating their tea or the kids are getting ready for bed, just five minutes to learn something, then all of those little five minutes will add up. By learning, what we're doing is um, making ourselves better. We're making our skill set wider. We're making ourselves more valuable, so to speak. But it doesn't have to be about work, you know? Learning actually stuff outside of work, I've found is much more satisfying. And actually almost everything that we learn is transferable to work in some respects. Now the next lesson is to be effective and liked. You've met those people that are uber effective, they get the job done, they can be trusted to deliver the goods, safe pair of hands, so to speak. But they have sharp elbows. They leave a trail of human devastation behind them. People don't enjoy working with them. They are effective, but disliked. Equally, I'm sure you've all worked with those people who are super lovely, really nice, like a cuddly bear at work. So, so friendly, always, always willing to drop their work commitments to have a chat. But people often look at them and go, how are you still employed? What do you actually do around here? They're nice and liked, but they're not necessarily effective. And one of the best things to do is to become both effective and liked. It is entirely possible to be effective and liked. And if you imagine it like a circle with a line across the middle, at the top you've got effective, at the bottom you've liked, the line is where you want to really try to be, to be effective and liked at the same time. Now, of course, there are times when we have to be effective, but disliked. You know, in the world of HR and management that I occupy, I have sometimes got to get rid of people from an organization. That's an effective thing to do for the organization. Are those people going to like me? Probably not. But generally, 99.9% .9 of the time, we can be effective and liked. So what does this look like? Well, to be effective, we need to understand what the business results are. Why are we employed? What are we trying to achieve? What are we trying to ship? To come back to the idea of shipping. What skills do we need? What competence do we need? What behaviors do we need? And we can develop those to such extreme that actually we're extremely effective at what we do. Now, when we go to the likes, what can we do here? Well, we can build relationships. But underpinning all of that is developing great communication skills. Communication skills underpin everything about being liked. You can have a difficult conversation, but not be sort of, I guess, hated because of it. You can listen to people, you can deal with conflict. You can be assertive and confident, but not put other people down. Communication skills are wonderful to build and they're at the essence of being liked, of being respected, of being trusted, of being cared for. And at the same time, we can be effective. A super valuable lesson that I've learned, and this is the next one, is to step outside of your job role. Now, when we join an organization, we usually apply for a job. We normally apply for a job, a role, and there's a sort of description about what's involved. However, very few people ever look back at that job description once they're in, in the job. I mean, I've never looked back at it and said, am I doing what's on this job? Sometimes what people do is they confine themselves so much to the job that actually the problems, the issues, the opportunities for growth, they miss them because they're sat outside of their job description. Now, in some organizations, you've got all of these different job descriptions and different roles and all that kind of stuff, but actually the problems exist between job roles. In my world where I occupy uh, in sort of big tech companies, we're always trying to improve the processes. We're always trying to improve the business and deliver more value. The only way that we've ever been able to do that is really to look at where these problems are and to fix them, to address the issues, to solve the reasons why things aren't being shipped. And that is often between job roles. So what I encourage people to do is to, of course, draw a frame around yourself and say, I am this, but to step outside that when needed, to look at the problems that no one else owns, to look at the things and pick them up and go, you know what, I think I can do this. I think I can uh, you know, contribute to solving this problem. And as you do that, what happens is your skills grow. You become almost difficult to define in a job role because you're doing all sorts of different things. 
Now what I'm saying, not saying here actually, is to pick up other people's work. To pick up work that is, you know, dangerous, illegal, immoral and all that kind of stuff. Don't do that. And don't take on so much that you fail at the core job that you're trying to achieve. But what I am saying is when we start to look around and, and push the boundaries of our job role a little bit, we start to become what the industry calls T-shape. Now this is having a core skill. You imagine like a capital T. The core bar running top to bottom is your core skill that could be, you know, retail, marketing, advertising, customer service, whatever it is that you're doing. And then across the top are a whole series of other skills that you're adding to that. It could be presenting, uh, management, communication, advertising, drawing, uh, filming, whatever it is that you're adding to this. There's no right or wrong way to do this. Just, you know, go out and build those skills. But we often build those horizontal skills across the top, left to right on the capital T by picking up work at work, by pushing the boundaries of our job description, by becoming really difficult to define in a JD, in a job description. And when I see this at work, it's absolutely wonderful because people are solving problems and working together and trying to collaborate. And this is really where people grow. They step outside of their job role and they get better because of it. And then last but not least, and the reason this is last, because if you take away any, anything from this podcast, then hopefully this will be the, the thing. And it's family first. It's always family first. Uh, remember the, the friend of mine who had a heart attack, you know, one thing that he came away from that with was family first. You know, what have I been doing, doing all of this other nonsense when I should have been spending time with my kids? Now, of course, we don't always get that opportunity. Sometimes we do have to have multiple jobs to pay the bills. Sometimes we just got to take that role because it's what we need to. And sometimes life throws lots of challenges and obstacles towards us. But wherever possible, what we probably need to try to do is to be family first. Now, one of the things that I do here is I look at what I'm trying to achieve with the family over the year. Maybe it's holidays, breaks, school kids plays, all that kind of stuff. And what I try to do is to make sure that that is what I build my days around. I take holidays at the right moment. Hopefully, if you've got some flexibility in your work, and not all of us do have that, we can adjust our calendars to cater for you know the kids' play or whatever. And sometimes, you know, we've just got to say no to work over the weekend and spend time with the kids but only you will know that only you will know what the consequences of saying no to your managers are what the consequences of not doing this particular thing are but what we should always try to achieve at least this is a lesson that i've learned is the family comes first there's many people where that's not possible and i entirely get that but i'm going to leave you with a quote from marcus aurelius he was a roman emperor and let's face it he had a much more important job than i do and he said this about putting his kids to bed each night and this has been a as I've talked about, a galvanizing measure of success for myself. He said, don't rush this. This might be the last time you do this. It's not a guarantee that either of you will make it through the night. Life is fragile. It's like a sand timer. Those classic sand timers, sand moving from the top to the bottom. Only you can't see how much sand is in the top. All you can see is sand passing, and all you can see is sand building at the bottom. But you've no idea how much is left. And that's a really sober, somber, can't even think of the word there is a really sort of dour thought but actually I get inspiration from that it inspires me to go well this could be the last thing that I do let's make sure that I don't regret it by not spending time with my kids so there you go there you have it they're the 10 lessons that I've learned in my life as I've tried to thrive and I'm still struggling honestly there are days when I'm just like wow um, what, what am I doing? Where's life going? You know, fate's getting in the way and all sorts of other stuff. But these are the 10 lessons. This is a keynote talk. Um, normally, it's obviously a lot more energetic with me on the stage with stupid stuff going on. They're the 10 lessons. I really hope they've resonated or at least one or two of them have. 
Thanks everybody for listening to the Cultivated Retreat podcast season one. If you want to join the mailing list and get goodness to your inbox every Wednesday, then check out cultivatedmanagement.com. You'll find all sorts of other stuff on there, resources, books, articles, links to the YouTube channel, links to the Here's an Idea Worth Playing With audio series, and of course the online communication superpower workshop. Until next time, bye-bye.